The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. It's not enough for everyone to individually solve their money and love challenges. For our money institutions, our work institutions, to get better on the love front requires everyone pushing in a concerted effort to shift things. It's Friday, and welcome to today's episode of The Next Big Idea Daily. I'm your host, Michael Kavnat, and all week we've been talking about how to make big life decisions. You know, those ones, the ones that can really get you tangled up. Can I afford to buy this house? Can I truly commit to this person? Am I ready to have kids? Do I have enough money to retire? If you've ever faced a decision like this, and if you haven't, trust me, you will. You know how stressful it can be. The stakes feel super high. After all, saying yes to one option usually means saying no to another. You just have this one precious life to live, right? What happens if you make the wrong decision? It can be hard to close off those other options. But there are also a lot of life choices that are hard only because of the way our society is set up. Those questions about how you can raise a family and have a good career at the same time. Those aren't your problems so much as they are social problems. We live in a culture that is only recently starting to pay attention to things like work-life balance, childcare, medical leave, healthcare, elder care. In America, anyway, figuring these things out can feel lonely, isolating. But it doesn't have to be that way. Small actions can make a big difference in changing our suboptimal choices related to money and love. One of the reasons so many people struggle with money and love decisions is that our society, particularly in the United States, isn't well set up to support the pursuit of both. Our laws, policies, and culture don't prioritize or value caregiving, which often leaves those of us in caregiving roles, the majority of workers in the U.S., feeling stuck. The last chapter in our book is all about how individuals can help change the work-family system, because it's not enough for us to solve our money and love issues on an individual level. In order for true change to happen, our laws, institutions, and communities need to change as well, and then we'll all be better off. We both identify as internal change agents, the kind that Professor Deborah Meyerson has dubbed tempered radicals. Myra helped launch the first Center for Gender Research at Stanford University, and I helped launch the Employee Resource Group for Parents at Gap Inc. Separately, we both saw opportunities to build communities that could create more impact collectively than we could as individuals. We brought in allies and together we made the business case to our respective employers. We've both since moved on from these institutions, but the communities we built have endured and continue to lead important work. Change agents play a critical role in spurring our society to adapt to our fast-changing world, and we all have the ability to be change agents, both in our own lives and beyond. 
you say part of the problem, at least in America, is that we are forced into making these decisions by ourselves because we don't have a social structure that really supports childcare, family leave, flexible work. Love and work are often pitted against one another, at least in certain cultures. Can one of you tell me where this idea came from and why you think we should all be tempered radicals? Well, it came from our own experiences, but it also comes from looking at what we think of as social change with an emphasis on the social. And the emphasis on the social takes away from the emphasis on the individual. So think about the difference in divorce laws now or the availability of contraception. Uh, When I was in the so-called marriage market in the late 1950s and 60s, you know, divorce was impossible in New York, state of New York. Mm -hmm. Um, There was no really effective birth control except for condoms for unmarried people. And that changed. How did it change? Well, we say social change. But in fact, there were people behind those social changes. So the people who invented the birth control pill weren't after social change. They were doing their science, but their work had enormous social change implications. And the women divorce lawyers who pushed for changes in the divorce laws made incredible social change. And so it's individuals that help the world to change. Mm -hmm. And we want people to think about that as they go about their lives. What's your example, Abby? Well, you know, I, I think that as I was in the corporate world, as I was um, working in a company that was 70 plus percent female with women in the C-suite, often people were making decisions, their own individual decisions about um, their jobs, um, whether to stay in the workforce, whether to leave, but not discussing them very publicly. I mean, I still think we don't really discuss the real reasons behind our career decisions. And one of the things I knew from taking Myra's class was that it was so helpful to have these very open, transparent, direct conversations with other people um, in community so that you're um, getting to hear the uh, other perspectives debate was happening. And so that was really an inspiration for starting the first uh, employee resource group for working parents, because rather than have the company had just invested in increasing parental leave and extending it actually to people, not just working in headquarters, but working in stores, which was um, very uh, pioneering. Uh, But there was no formal community for people to come back to after they returned from leave and asked the same questions that everyone was asking. How do I find childcare? When my kids were school age, how should I think about that decision? And so um, having had Myers class, having studied with Deborah Meyerson, who coined the term tempered radical, I helped to get this group off the ground, as I mentioned with the co-founder, and really were able to have, and this was 2019. And so there, the next year when the pandemic hit and so many working parents were trying to educate and care for children on Zoom in their living rooms and perform their jobs, you know, in a different room or in the same room. It was really helpful. And um, I think the the point that we're trying to make 
make in the last chapter is that it's not enough for everyone to individually solve their money and love challenges. That for our money institutions, our work institutions to get better on the love front requires everyone pushing in a concerted effort to shift things. And so we hope that people will not just focus on their own individual choices, but really help advance our institutions, our policies, our laws that very much shape the context of our decision-making around money and love. What are some of the biggest changes you think need to happen in terms of policies at the government level or at the corporate level? We need to think about childcare and preschool in the same way that we think about education. That is, it's a public good, and we need to have government investment, just as we do for education. All the research shows the importance of preschool. All the research shows the importance of childcare. From a corporate perspective, again, something that seems small, but could have very significant change is simply tracking the caregiver status of employees. Companies have actually no idea how many of their employees are caring for young children, caring for older relatives, caring for siblings who might not be able to care for themselves. And so by elevating caregiving status to just be tracked that would allow companies to be aware of how many of their employees have caregiving responsibilities. It would allow them to communicate with those employees about what benefits would be helpful for them. Uh, and there could be very different conversations than are currently being had with just more data. I'll quote your own book to you. You say, Regardless of why we started to compartmentalize money and love, it's time to recognize that the two are profoundly intertwined and both are fundamental to living a life of purpose and meaning, health and well-being. No one should have to choose between a good job and safe nurturing child care or elder care, yet every day millions of people are forced to make decisions exactly like these. Good call to arms there, and I love just as a final thought that you 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 don't just say, here are these big social problems, good luck. You actually try to use your five C's method to give people tools and approaches that they could use to become change agents. How can we as individuals assert our influence to make the world and our jobs better? Well, radicals are often thought of as, uh, you know, kind of rock throwers. You know, you throw a rock through the company that you don't like and you break the window and um, that's how you've asserted your radical point of view. And we're saying there are radicals on the inside, people who don't want to break up the organization but want to make it better. It still is radical, but it isn't about destruction. It's about building. And our society is changing so rapidly, and often it's tempered radicals who really spur their companies, their workplaces to change, to meet our fast-changing society. And so really with the spirit of wanting to improve, wanting to make things better, um, they're working from the inside. So you could call them entrepreneurs, um, you can call them all sorts of things. But Myra and I both consider ourselves tempered radicals, and we think that there are many, I mean, everyone really is capable of being a tempered radical and helping to push for change from the inside. And that would leave us all better off when it comes to questions 
and choices related to money and love. Well, thank you very much for coming onto the podcast. It was great having you. I'm inspired by your work and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was terrific to be here. Thank you. And thank you for joining us this week, everyone. If these episodes have made any of your big decisions easier, we'd love to hear about it. Find The Next Big Idea on LinkedIn. There's a link in the episode notes and you can leave a comment or a question. If you missed any of this week's episodes, hurry on over to the App Store or Google Play Store and download our Next Big Idea app. There you'll find advice on decision-making from big thinkers like Myra and Abby, Stephen Johnson, Seth Stevens-Davidowitz, and many more. And come back Monday when I'm going to be talking with Jesse Hempel, podcaster and reporter who has written a remarkable memoir about her rather remarkable family. It's called The Family Outing, And even though the particulars of her story are unusual, the lessons about how to build a great relationship with your own family are universal. This week's episodes were written and produced by me, Michael Kovnat. Executive producers are Rufus Griscom and Kayla Bissinger. Mixing and sound design by Cocoon Audio. The Next Big Idea Daily is a proud member of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you soon.